Welcome to the Hunters and Unicorns 2020 Mastery Mission. Essential listening for sales professionals on the quest for mastery. Shorter episodes, huge impact. The 2020 Mastery Mission is sponsored by SOAP, the global recruitment partner for the Playbook community. Are you on the mission? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the 2020 Mastery Mission. 20 topics, 20 guests, 20 minutes. We're here to unlock the tribal wisdom from the legends of tech sales to help you get one step closer to mastery. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Ollie Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Bernd Merlein. Bernd, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Happy to be here, finally. <laughs> Amazing. It's been... we. we it's, it's been some time. We've made this promise and it's finally happening. So um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, Bernd. Awesome. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, in the way of an introduction, you're currently Regional Vice President, Central and Eastern Europe at Lacework. Absolute rocket ship. You guys are absolutely killing it right now, making so much noise. But I suppose what's interesting is your background before that. You were first man on the ground, cyber reason, where you essentially helped to build out the DAC region, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and also since at MongoDB. So, you know, very, very much uh, indoctrinated within the, uh, within the playbook community. So, uh, Bernd, we have 20 minutes together today. Could you please introduce your topic? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we, we discussed a bunch of topics. The one we landed on was being first man on the ground. Like, how does it actually feel to be the first man? And how do you choose whether you want to do that as a rep or as somebody who's potentially managed teams before? That's really it. Yeah. Amazing. And, and, and why is it that we chose this topic, Bernd? Why do you think it's so important? Well, I think from, from, from a rep's perspective, any career decision is, is insanely important because you're going to be spending so much time on it, no matter what you do. But specifically, if you choose to be first man for typically US or Israeli companies or any company really in a region, you're going to be the first face and you're going to be doing everything in the beginning. So you're probably going to be working a little bit. So um, you better make sure you make that decision um, wisely and basically consider everything that goes into it in terms of you really wanting to do that job for the right reasons, knowing your why behind it. Um, and I just don't think there's so many people who really truly enjoy this. So I think it's worth discussing the ins and outs of it uh, to find out whether that can be something for for, for listeners or not, or not, at least that's my impression. So, uh, you know, as someone that's obviously been first man on the ground, when you actually go into first man on the ground, there's obviously lots of things to that, you know, that you're, you're, you're assessing. But from what you've learned about what it takes to build a region, you know, when there is nothing, how do you now assess what a good first, first person opportunity might look like? Okay, so I think one thing that's very important is who's the ideal customer, and that's something that I've learned learned a bunch from from Andy, from John, and all the guys. Just making sure you really understand who you want to go after, and then find out whether that's defined at a company level, um, depending on where the company is at, like what series they're at in terms of funding and all of that, and maturity, and find out whether there's some sort or a predefined ideal customer profile. Then the thing I would do is to look at whether that ideal customer profile exists in the region and whether you're confident that 
the way that these people buy work with the way that the company thinks they're going to be selling in region. Because, I mean, the first thing you ideally do is you replicate what works elsewhere. It, to me, it doesn't really make sense to come in and try to reinvent the wheel and everything and, and act like you know it all, because you probably don't when other people have done it in other regions successfully. Yeah, sure. Oh, oh that's obviously incredibly, you know, incredibly insightful. Um, so let's make the transition. You know, we are now the first person in the region you talk a lot about building plans and you talk about having an evolving plan rather than a fixed plan. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the three evolving steps of your plan, uh, Bernd. Yeah, so, so when you first start, one of the key things is you're always going to be short on time and you're always going to feel like you're not doing enough of this or that. From my point of view, it's a mixture of planning and execution. And the way that I like to explain it to people, like when, when, when I'm in interviews or when we have conversations, the way I feel it's usually on the left side, you roll up your sleeve and you get stuff done. On, on your right hand, you have a pen in your hand and you actually write the plan, ideally a little bit before you start doing it, but then as you go and reiterate and, and make that work. So it obviously needs to be revised to the situations that you find yourself. Back to the point from before, you're going to have a plan that you would have built up to try to find out whether you actually want to do it. Then you get in, you realize what the situation is, you adapt to that, and you need to be good at communicating um, what you're planning to do internally and externally. So you might as well have some kind of structure to yourself so that you can articulate that. Yeah, we've talked about the, the, the ICP topic uh, in a second. So one thing that's important is not to put your energy into companies that are going to take a very, very long time to actually work with you. I'm not saying every company with every solution going into a market should sell to a small startup because that's quicker. But if you start with the, the VWs, the Daimlers, the Siemenses of this world in Germany, and you expect to land first customers in a certain amount of time, it's going to be really, really hard. So know where to put your energy first in a way you can win and, and, and spend your time. Also, one thing that's really, really crucial is to understand that market. So be an expert or get to be an expert. Find the resources internally with your company. It's probably there somewhere to um, really, really understand the details of the technology and the value this brings to prospective customers and existing customers. Understand current customer stories. Uh, by that, I don't just mean a one-page marketing sheet that you read through, but talk to the people that closed those deals. Try to find out the details. How did they find this deal? How did they generate it? How did this um, then evolve into a deal? How long did it take? Who was the champion or champions in this account? Who was typically the EB? Like Through these conversations, you're going to understand how this can work, and you're going to have to be somewhat of an expert because you're going to be the brand of, of this company in region and people will have to trust you. And if they have a first conversation with you, be it prospects, um, channel partners or whatever else in the ecosystem or, or anyone you're trying to hire, they're going to have to feel that you understood why um, things are a certain way and how you can positively influence them as a company. Uh, Bernd, how much of this validation process that we're talking about here is confirmed through the interview stage? And do you confirm it at that interview stage or your discovery stage on the opportunity itself? The more, the better. And I, as a hiring manager, try to be extremely transparent. And everyone that I've, that I've met in, in this company here right now is the same way. So making sure that um, the other side really understands 
the reality of the situation and we don't sugarcoat anything and people know what they're up against. So to flip that, if you, if you think about an opportunity like that, I think very similar to qualifying any business opportunity and something to put into your forecast and commit or, or put into your best case. It's about really asking the questions and going deep. And the best candidates that I spoke to challenged me a lot on a lot of topics, asked really good, insightful questions and made me learn through that. So that in the, in the recruiting or hiring process, both sides actually learn from these recruiting conversations. And I would say, if you're recruiting for a first man on the ground as a company and as a hiring manager for that, maybe you're the VP EMEA or the GM or whatever, and you're hiring for a first man in a region, you're going to want to learn so much from these hiring conversations. And through that, really judge what you as a company potentially have to do to win in that market. Because initially, you think about different regions and you look at the economic potential of these, these regions. And then you might think, oh, Germany's awesome because it, it's got such a big economy. But potentially, there are certain things that are different that you just don't know because you haven't sold in that market. So I think it's also a learning opportunity, opportunity for the company. But as, as the person qualifying the job, I think you should go really, really deep. And it comes back to what I said before. Um, ask to be introduced to many people if they don't do that automatically, make sure that you speak to five, six, seven, eight different people, your hiring manager multiple times. I think a best practice is a first 30 minute conversation, a follow on hour conversation, at least um, to make sure that after this hour and a half, you, you have understood the basics and you've got a good gut feel on the person. And then after that, I would go and try to find other people that I want to speak to unless I'm offered that already. And again, it should be done in a pretty, pretty short time frame. I would also press at, at the earliest convenience when both sides take this very serious, serious to meet in person. I mean, by now the world is, is open again, which is great. And I certainly make sure that, that I meet people who I partner with in person. And it makes a difference. You get, you get a different feel for people. They get to experience you as you are, unless you have your gut up and, and try to tell stories. But in the end, um, that works really, really well. And I would ask for that really early. And then I think that a mixture of your gut feel for this opportunity and the, the work that you would have done and the, the information that you would have qualified and the plan that you would have put together for this opportunity is going to give you a very clear yes or no on whether you really want to do it. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, you know, disruptive technology that's, that's new, that there isn't necessarily in region where, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily have right ch or, or, or the, you know, uh, an, an ecosystem, whether it's the channel that is supporting that particular technology because it doesn't exist or you don't know where your EBs are, you don't know who your champions are, and you've not necessarily got those people within your customer set. How do you start to unfold all of that? <laughs> you mean, how do you, how do you build something from nothing and how well, do you know how where do, to go? Yeah. How, how do you get the, the, I suppose the reassurance that it's a good opportunity and it's ready or it's, uh, you know, it's the right technology at the right time. Yeah. So something that's worked for me is to talk to people in my network, not necessarily people from this company or this specific industry, if I don't have anyone in that industry, but simply people that I perceive as very knowledgeable, certainly much more knowledgeable than me in, in, in topics. Lots of them also technically savvy and really understand how things intertwine and why they're relevant and try to get their perspective on it. So for example, when, when choosing the last opportunity that I'm now in, I had thorough conversations with former champions of mine 
um, in CISO roles and in technical roles to make sure what they perceive, like what's their view of the company. And, and, and at that time, they probably don't know the company, but they, they kind of understand. I can message to them how I understood it. They can do some research and play back to me how they think about it. And that way, like when putting together my plan, it has some reality into it, or at least perceptions from people that are in your market and understand things a bit more, uh, a bit better than you. So I would always encourage that if you can't if you if you certainly don't have anyone in your network when you when you've sold something completely different and never interacted with with anyone i don't know go on linkedin find people that look interesting in your region and actually pg into them to have a conversation and actually ask them for an opinion um people people tend to help um if they can and if they look like they would be an interesting counterpart just approach them i think on that you just made a really interesting point there (laughs) There's there's many people that perceive what a startup environment might might be like, you know, especially when you are first person on the ground. But what is it that you think most people struggle with in terms of the the, the reality versus actually, you know, what they perceive? What is is there a common is there a common challenge or or something which you you, you notice you know come up again and again? Constant change. If you grow in, in, in a very crazy way, as some, some companies do, by that I mean going from 50 people to 200 in, in a few months or going from 200 people to 1,000 like Lacework did, did last year, really, there is so much change. And probably you're not used to that from wherever you come from. Um, at some point, it's the first, first, first man opportunity or first startup opportunity that you choose to go after, and you think like, "This is great. It's, it's, it's a sexy opportunity. It looks interesting. It's a great company, and I want to do this." And then you realize this is actually pretty hard, and and also um, things just change constantly. By that I mean. Um, you start reporting to someone, then the structure changes and there's a different management layer or the geos are cut up in a different way. Suddenly you report to some, somebody differently. Not that that's a great way to do things, but stuff like that happens. And um, then I think one thing is you need to be comfortable to realize certain things that you can change and other things that you cannot change and be very good at at this very moment where you realize you cannot change it, simply put a check mark behind it and leave, leave it to the side and make sure it doesn't emotionally um, get a hold of you in any way. And you focus on the things you can influence. But on those ones, it's, it's around extreme urgency and extreme ownership. So I don't think everyone is very used to extreme ownership in the definition of if you don't do it, nobody does it in any way and it just doesn't get done. And you can always feel in your evenings or however you reflect when you do your sports or when you spend time with your family, you can always feel like you're not doing enough and you should do this and you should do that. And you need to get comfortable that in theory, it's never enough. And there's always things that you should be doing and owning to get stuff done. So I think that's the, um, that's the thing to get comfortable with. And yeah, a lot of the things that we talked about already. Obviously, um, Bern, there, there's expectations, Right, first man on the ground. There's going to be an expectation for you know you to be doing deals for you know for for you to be able to prove that region. What is the dynamic that somebody needs to take into consideration, and how do you manage those expectations? And you know, can you give us a bit of insight into, I suppose, the pressures put on individuals like you that are then the first man on the ground? Yeah, certainly. So I think. 
I think in the beginning, it's important to qualify expectations beforehand. So talk to the people that you speak to, and again, multiple people in the chain to understand whether there are clear expectations and then what exactly they are and whether they're aligned between the different stakeholders in the business and whether that fits together. It isn't always the case. If it's not, call it out, talk about it so that you're just very transparent upfront and you have some kind of a social contract with one another of what you actually want to achieve. Again, that's going to change. It's not going to be in a way where, yeah, but we discussed this in our interview process and now it's changed and now I'm not doing it anymore. Um, but this certainly doesn't work back to my constant change point from before, but have something um, to, to mutually agree on before you start. Now, when you start it, it's around really balancing and making sure that you manage expectations internally. Once you've figured out who your ideal customer profile is in region and who you go after, ideally the same ideal customer profile that it is in other regions replicating this in, in your region, but that doesn't always work. But typically that's what you, what you should be doing in my, in my experience. And then from then on, making sure that you qualify with prospective customers how this can really, how this can really work out. And what I mean by that is, qualify in and out of opportunities quickly. For that to happen, you're gonna to have to do pipeline generation and find things directly and potentially through channel partners and different means and get into these conversations because only then you'll have anything real to talk about. Only then you would have understood, am I able to find pain? Am I able to, uh, to build champions and identify people that really care about that pain? Do I find a way to identify who's the EB on, on this discussion in my region typically? Who's the person? And can I get to that person through my champion or other means fairly quickly? And then what's a realistic time um, I need to close those deals? Like, is this realistically done in two months from first conversation? Does it take three? Does it take six? What's my best guess in the beginning to then play back to your organization what to expect? Obviously, you've got quarters, you've got a number, and you have to hit that number, whichever way. But uh, in the process, I would always advise to just be extremely transparent about where you are um, and not only talk about all the great things that you've done and kind of put in Slack, oh, I've done this and we've done that and the team, but also um, just be very upfront about what's not working. What are the things that you tried and what's failing? And um, what do you suggest that you, yourself, the team, whoever can influence does differently in order to get to that number. So again, I think it comes down very much to open and honest conversation, mask down and telling people as it is and not trying to masquerade a situation. With regards to, you know, the, the plan of action when it comes to who you're going to focus on, the types of customers, obviously you speak about ideal customer profiles, right? And when you take a large enterprise product to market, you're going to be going after large enterprise customers. Obviously, with that in markets, there's also mid mid market customers, which trans sales process can be far shorter. Is it advisable? And if, do you have any advice around kind of the customers that you go after? Is doing some deals with smaller mid enterprise customers better than putting all your eggs in one basket and just going for that big strategical wins? I would certainly say um, going after big enterprise customers only is a lot harder. And if you choose to work for a company that has a solution that only works for very large enterprise, you're just going to have to be conscious about it all around the table. Everyone that wants to build this needs to understand, well, if you're selling to a large bank in, uh, in, in, in Germany, it's just going to take longer. Same thing with large manufacturers and so on and so forth. Um, that said, um, I think 
if you can choose as as an IC or as a rep or as somebody who's managed elsewhere to go into a startup opportunity, it's 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 definitely beneficial for you if there is a path to also sell this 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 product um, and drive value in smaller companies. And it doesn't always just have to be smaller amounts of people in terms of employees in this company, but mindset. How, how does this company think? How do these companies typically interact? What areas are they in? What's driving business value for them? Like what, what are the business challenges that they have in terms of are they trying to potentially sell um, to large customers themselves for some reason and, and have compliance topics that they need to sort out? Do they have, let's say, a massive competitive setup where they need to de develop new product with great technology and they have to secure that for some way? There's so many different angles to look at it, but, but ideally you identify a market where you can move rather quickly if you find strong champions and access to the EB and find pain. Like if you have all these strings, these things in a very large enterprise compared to a mid-market company or even a startup or a scale-up that you sell to. Because depending on what your license model is in the end, um, it's not always per seat or per employee. So obviously understand how, how you can scale that commercially. And then in my experience, you can sell uh, a decent-sized deal that people really care about and celebrate and are happy about in a 100-people company or in a 500-people company. And with that, you typically have a structure where you need one champion that's really strong. You have certainly an easier way to get to an EB and really ask for that conversation early in the process. And you can ask very direct questions on how this, this typically works. And if there is no process for buying and RFPs and all of that, you can help your champion define that buying process and be really, really deeply involved into that, steering it to your benefit, but also to the customer's benefit. Typically, they learn from the interaction they have with you. That's how it should feel with them in the right way. Um, and then that's why I'd say summarizing, I would always try to find an opportunity where I can also sell into smaller companies and smaller can have a lot of different meanings depending on what you sell. So I think this is a really good time to kind of just summarize some of the kind of key actions and key takeaways. Obviously, this, this, this episode has been so insightful because there are so many things. So if we were to just take kind of some key things for our listeners to try um, and really to do following, listening or watching this, uh, this episode today, what, what would they be? So from my perspective, evaluate whether a first man on the ground opportunity is for you. And it, it, it's not anything that you have to do and that's insanely special and that's why this is something that you have to do in your career. I think it's around, do you enjoy the process of doing that versus the result of you having been a first man? So do you really enjoy this building process? And that's, that's something that I'm very passionate about for myself. So I think find that out and only do it if, um, if, if that's the case and you're interested in the topic, do your due diligence beforehand, spend a lot of time qualifying on, on all the levels that are important. Once you get into it, make sure you communicate clearly internally and externally, know your stuff, understand the product, understand the value proposition. Um, go find your first champions and your first customers really early. Typically, you do this in smaller companies when it works with the product. Uh, go after the low-hanging fruit. 
and qualify in and out really early because no matter what homework you do you're not going to land at the perfect company immediately you're going to have to have multiple conversations it's a little bit like cold calling you're not going to land at the perfect eb right now and he's going to buy it is a process so you're going to have to consciously qualify in and out really early in a way that the customer doesn't feel let down but in a way that you're you're open with the customer and say let's actually talk about this in six months for this and that reason and then you come back and you build build this back in in six months and then in the end get really comfortable with the constant change that you're going to have one with the change that you're going to introduce because through through this job in itself you're going to change things constantly and you're going to have to get your team to adjust to that and hire people who want that and thrive in that environment and then get used to the same thing in your organization. Maybe you're hired as the first person in Europe or the first person in a country. And um, there's going to be structure. Like if you do your job well, if, if the company grows well, there's going to be massive change all around you, different layers of management, potentially a, a product pivot of some sort, maybe a license change, license model change, whatever it may be. There's so many things that you can think of. Get comfortable being uncomfortable, as people say in this don't emotionally worry about anything that you, you cannot change and focus on the things that you know you do well and just be very open-minded in terms of learning because most likely you're not going to know at least 70% of the stuff that you have to do when you come in and you have to be really good at picking up the skill set quickly and finding sources for that skill set internally and externally to help you do what you need to get done. Um, that's how it's amazing amazing thank you so much for that and i think it's a it's a very you know very very insightful summary and lots of kind of really good takeaways there so this is the point where we really just summarize what we've obviously spoken about today um in in a world today where there's more vc money than there is you know possibly sense there's lots of uh, lots of patches of greenfield that can really attract people the grass is greener on the other side um, and, and I think one of the one of the important things you know to really take from this is that people do need to take the time to really, really inquire to themselves as to whether or not they're attracted by the work to be done or the outcome. Because if you're chasing the outcome, the reality is going to be very, very different to to, to that. And, and I think you've given some amazing advice around you know what to do prior to taking an opportunity but also what to do once you're in you you are you know that first person on the ground and then the reality of that so so but just want to say a massive thank you for, to you for, for for your time today you know lots and lots of takeaways you know thanks so much for sharing your your wisdom and your time with us thanks to you guys thanks for organizing this and i've learned so much from the sessions you've had with with many other people and i'm actually very thankful for for the service that you're giving to to the community i think people can take a lot from it and if there's 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 anything that i can add to that i'm i'm very happy to do that it was a pleasure so always fun to speak to you guys um which is a lot easier in terms of having such conversations than if you speak to people that you actually don't want to be around same thing with what i just talked about in, in the session so thank you very much for all you oh, thank you but that's really nice of you to say that and it's been an absolute pleasure you know we've known each other for a while and and it's great to have got you on the show so many inspirational you know conversations that we've had and i also know the impact that you're having in your region and the people that work within your team so um yeah i just wish you continued success in in continuing to build you know something so special um and and in your career so thank you so much for for joining us to all of our listeners thank you so much for joining us today we really do hope you've enjoyed this session if you've liked what you've heard 
heard, please do subscribe and share. But again, a massive thank you for Burn for joining us today on this show. And we look forward to welcoming you all back for another master session soon. Thank you. Have you enjoyed the session today? Be sure to let us know how you got on with the tips and please help others discover our series by sharing and liking our content. Are you on the mission? The 2020-20 Mastery Mission is brought to you by SOAP, the global recruitment partner for the Playbook community. Check out so muchsoap.com for more information.